You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. What's up, Christ Walk? How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Awesome. It's so, so good to see you all. So good to be in the house of the Lord with you all today. For those of you that are watching online, we're so glad that you're here with us as well. Today we are in part four of a series that we've called Not Feeling It, where we've been taking a look at how we can handle those seasons of life where it seems like God is nowhere to be found. And, and when, the, when those seasons come about, what are the reasons behind those seasons? What, what should our response be? And what does the Bible have to say about it all? All the way back in part one, uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 88. We talked about four truths to remember whenever life just stinks. And we were reminded that even though sometimes we can't feel God, we can remain faithful because God is faithful. And then in part two of our series, we took a look at John chapter six. We talked about the, but the reasons for and the requirement of following Jesus and that it may not always be easy to follow Jesus, but it is always worth it. And then last week in part three, Uh, We took a look at Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 7. We talked about three relationships that we need to lean into during a not-feeling-it season. Our relationship with the Word of God, our relationship with the Spirit of God, and our relationship with the people of God. And so if you missed one of those messages, you can catch up easily either on our podcast Um, You can go to Spotify, search Christ Walk Church, um, or on our YouTube channel if you want to watch, and you can find both of those on our website at thechristwalk.com. So I'd highly encourage you to go back and uh, and check those out and get caught up. Um, If uh, you got a Bible or a smart device, um, I want to invite you for today for part four of our series to turn with me to the New Testament. Um, We are going to take a look at another one of Paul's letters Um, the letter to the church in Philippi. And so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, and we will land there in just a moment. Um, A little over 17 years ago, it was 17 years last month, Sarah and I, we pledged our vows to each other as we stepped into a covenant marriage relationship. And as part of those vows... We agreed to love each other for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. And, and many of you in this room, many of you watching with us online today, you have probably made some similar statements um, over your lifetime, perhaps when you got married or in some other capacity. And while I'm not going to speak for Sarah Um, I will speak for myself. 17 years ago, the age of 23, um, I I was only focused on three of those aspects, better, richer, and healthy. Like those were the the three things that, that I was focused on because those other things, they were never going to enter into the picture as far as I was concerned. But 17 years into marriage, here's some of the things that I've learned. 
Um, it's not always a sexy little black dress. Sometimes it's flannel pajama pants and a t-shirt with a hole in it. It's not always lipstick and curls. Sometimes it's bedhead and morning breath. It's not always spend, 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 buy whatever you want. Sometimes it's how in the world are we going to pay this bill or manage to get this car fixed? It's not always worry-free living. Sometimes it's pacing the floor of a hospital room waiting on the surgeon to show up and hopefully tell you that the procedure went well. It's not always snuggling and canoodling. You can use your imagination there. (laughs) Sometimes it's figuring out how to get comfortable on the sofa and how to get yourself out of the (laughs) doghouse. Have you ever gotten in the middle of something and thought to yourself, maybe even out loud, "Mm, I'm not sure this is what I signed up for. See, whenever that temptation creeps in, to moments in our marriage, I'm reminded of those vows that I took 17 years ago, that I didn't just agree to stick through it during all of the good parts. I agreed to stick through it through all of the parts, Amen. come what may. Amen. And, and maybe, maybe you've had a similar experience in your walk with Christ. Maybe, maybe someone unintentionally led you to believe that if you became a Christian, that all of your problems would suddenly dissolve like Alka-Seltzer in a cup of water. Maybe, maybe you adopted that viewpoint on your own. Like, sure, things started out great. It was new. It was exciting. It was, it was fun even. But now here you are months, years, even decades in, and the hope that you once had for the future has faded off into the distance. See, now you've been around the block a time or two. Maybe the church has caused you hurt. Perhaps other Christ followers have let you down. And and maybe you find yourselves in a season where it seems like life is just one big struggle after another. Maybe today you're wondering, where's that hope that I once had? Where's that connectivity that I once experienced? Where is the victory that I once lived out? Maybe in this moment that you find yourself in today, maybe your faith is beginning to wane and perhaps you're starting to think to yourself, I'm not really sure that this is what I signed up for. Paul comes in to the scene and and in Philippians chapter three, you've turned there, you've swiped there. We're gonna take a look beginning in verse one. Paul comes in and, and he writes this. He says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it to safeguard your faith. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. That's the message. Like we could just pack it up and just go home today, like right now, like that, that's what I've got for you today. Whatever happens, no matter what you experience, whether it's, 
for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, whatever happens, come what may, rejoice in the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. It, it's, and and, and it, it's, it's, not, it's not fake. It's, it's, it's not, yay, life stinks. Let's celebrate. That's ridiculous. What Paul is saying is, is that it's yay in spite of the fact that life stinks. Look what the Lord has done. Consider his track record. Consider the, all of the things that we read through scripture. Consider the, the things that we've lived out and experienced in our own life that up to this point, he's, he's kept us and he's saved us and he's protected us and he's, he's keeping us going. And look at the testimony from those around us that in, in, in spite of all of the mess and the muck and the junk, Look what the Lord has done. And when we do this, Paul says that it safeguards our faith. It reminds us of the powerful truth of of not only who Jesus is, but, but what he has done, which is important in regard to our continuation as a Christ follower and our, our ability to, to make it through a not feeling it kind of season. That when we look back on all of the things that the Lord has done, it helps us in that not feeling it season where where God seems so far away to put one foot in front of the other and to continue moving forward. So Paul says, whatever, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. He continues in verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. In a little historical context, what what Paul is actually talking about here is um, he's making reference to the Judaizers, a group called the Judaizers. And and, um, when when Paul was on his missionary journeys and when he was going around from place to place and he was traveling and he was proclaiming the word of God, he had this group that were, they were like groupies that followed around the Grateful Dead, you know, from place to place. And, And they would show up to wherever Paul was. And anytime he would preach, anytime he would proclaim something from the word of God, they would come in and they would proclaim something different. And they would point, they would say, he's not telling it right. He's not doing it right. And they would, they would try to perpetuate their beliefs and these, these false doctrines and everything. And so uh, the, these were uber religious people. And so ultimately what Paul is saying here is he's saying, watch out for religious people. And the things that they say, the things that they proclaim, the way that they handle their business. And, and he's using the Judaizers um, a, as an example. And the Judaizers, they were people that they, they mixed together the law and grace. He called them dogs because the Judaizers, they would, they would constantly bark false doctrines. They were, they were diseased, mangy troublemakers that carried infection along with them, and they, they tried to insert that into the people of God, the converts that were coming to Jesus. He called them evildoers because they taught that sinners were saved by grace and good works, not grace alone. He called them mutilators, which is a reference to circumcision, because they taught that physical circumcision was essential for salvation, while Paul focused on a spiritual circumcision or a circumcision of the heart when he went to proclaim the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. And I love what Warren Wearsby says about this. He says, a Christian's good works are the result 
of his faith, not the basis for his salvation. Yes, in James, the brother of Jesus does talk about faith without works is dead. But the truth is, is that, that we go through circumcision or we participate in baptism or communion or tithing or serving or fill in the blank with any of those things. We, we participate in, in good works like those not to be saved. We participate in good works like those because we are saved. And that's what Paul is getting at here. And he's saying, so let's, let's not get things out of order. That this is the reason why we live a good life. And this is the, the reason why, why we, we follow these patterns and why we put these things to work in our life. He, he continues in verse 3. He says, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. And it's here that Paul highlights the characteristics of of the true believer. It's, it's not what the Judaizers, those that are mixing law and grace, it's not what they say. A true believer is someone who, who worships in spirit and truth. A true believer is someone who boasts only in the work of Jesus Christ. A true believer is someone who places no confidence in human effort or the things that we are able to accomplish. Paul is saying there's only one good work that allows the sinner passageway to heaven. And that's the finished work of Christ on the cross at Calvary. But yet knowing all of this, when I read this passage where Paul is saying, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. I, I find I'm saying, that's easy for you to say, man. Does anybody ever, you ever read the scriptures and you see these like these, these champions of the faith and, and how they proceed and how they, how they live out their faith in Jesus? And you're like, yeah, man, that's, that's easy for you, but, but you don't know my situation. You don't know the things that I've been through. Facebook and Instagram were shut down for like six hours the other day. You don't even know the lengths of torture that I've experienced. It's easy for you to say, but you're not walking in my shoes. You're not dealing with the things that I'm dealing with. And in the way that he typically does, Paul comes through and he answers those questions, picking up in verse 4. He says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and asked for righteousness. I obeyed the law without fault. If Paul had an Instagram account, this would be his bio. See, on the outside looking in, Paul had it all. He was everything that even you and I in this day and age, he's everything that a religious person would aspire to be. His life was something to be coveted. His status was something to be attained. You know these people. They're the ones on HGTV's House Hunters. She's a part-time preschool teacher. He makes scented candles out of organic yak horn. <laughs> Their budget for the home they're trying to purchase is a measly $8.4 million. 
He drives that sports car that you'd give your right arm to have. She's always coming from the nail salon or the hair salon or the, some kind of fill-in-the-blank salon. They vacation in the most exotic of locales with their 2.4 children. They always match on Sundays for church. Not in a weird, creepy way, but in like the cover of GQ or Fashion Weekly kind of way. How do we know this? How do we know this? Because they post a picture of it on their Instagram every Sunday where their kids are always looking at the camera and smiling at the same time. Even their dog is photogenic. And you look at that and you think, if I had that life, then things would be perfect. Then if if I could live how they're living, if I could have the things that they have, if, if my experience could be their experience, then I would be happy. But it's unrealistic. It's, it's all smoke and mirrors. We, we can't judge our whole experience based on someone else's highlight reel. It's the wrong measuring stick. And so, so, so Paul, Paul continues in, in verse 7. He says, I once thought that these things, the, the, the highlight reel of his life, I once thought that these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. See, these were the things that Paul used to hold on to, the, the things that he would highlight, the things that he would walk into a party and bring up about himself. You know, did you know that I'm a Pharisee and I do CrossFit? That's what <laughs> Paul would do. I'm also vegan. Let me share some recipes with you. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather you not. But now... In light of the work that Christ has done, Paul realizes that all of these things that he once held on to, all of these things that he, he worked so hard to attain, that they are, they are worthless. This, this worldly gain and all of these accolades, the pursuit of the perfect life, he calls it worthless. Paul had, he had checked all of the boxes in the name of religion. He had, he had garnered a great reputation that others held in utmost esteem. Yet he got to the place where he realized that all of that stuff, it simply didn't satisfy. So instead, Paul let go of his religion. He let go of his reputation. And instead, he embraced something of much greater value. That's where I want us to spend the next few minutes of this morning, verses 8 through 11. Paul says, yes. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. But rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. Four things that we need to replace 
our religion and reputation with. Four things that we need to replace our religion and our reputation with. The first one of those things is we need to replace it with the knowledge of Christ. We need to replace it with the knowledge of Christ. Paul says everything else else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. You guys know that I'm a huge sports fan. Many of you know that I'm a diehard Kentucky fan. And I got to thinking as I was reading this passage about John Vincent Calipari, as many of you probably do when you read the Bible. John Vincent Calipari, for those of you that don't know, he is the men's basketball coach at the University of Kentucky. He's been the head coach there since 2009. He's married to Ellen. He has three kids, Aaron, Megan, and Brad. He's taken three different teams to the Final Four, UMass, um, Memphis, and Kentucky. He won a national title in 2012 He has 742 wins, which ranks him 22nd on the NCAA all-time wins list. He was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 2015. I've never met John Calipari. I don't know his phone number. We've never shared a meal. I watch him on TV. I listen to him on the radio. We've even been in the same room together with 20,000 other people. On a handful of occasions. But despite all of that, he doesn't have a clue that I even exist. See, I only know about him. I don't actually know him. Religious people know a lot of stuff about Jesus. But they don't actually know him. I don't want to know just about Jesus. I want to know him personally, in relationship. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you got to get rid of your religion. You got to get rid of your reputation. You got to embrace this relationship. It's not enough to just know about Jesus. You need to really know him. You need to be engaged in the worship of him. You need to, to have read and studied and memorized his word. You need to talk to him on the reg in prayer. You need to spend time with him each and every day. It's not about just knowing about Jesus. Thank God. Thank God that we we don't just get to know about him. We can actually know him. That when I get up in the morning and I get my Bible and my journal, and I go literally into my closet, right there by my dirty clothes hamper, and I get down in the floor, and my shirts and stuff, they're all hanging over my head and everything, and I'm right there, that, that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe shows up in that place because he wants a relationship with me. That's what Paul is calling us to. We don't just know about him. We have the opportunity to truly know him. Number one, the knowledge of Christ. Number two, the second thing that we need to replace our religion and our reputation is the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. Paul says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous 
through faith in Christ. This is, the, the technical term for this is, is a word called imputation. Imputation, which means to ascribe to or charge a person with an act or quality because of the conduct of another over whom one has control or for whose acts or conduct one is responsible. Let me see if I can explain this in terms that like, I can understand. Uh, all of y'all probably got that right there. I need to simplify it for myself. Here not too long ago, um, we signed up for this thing for, for our kids, Luke and Avery, um, to get them these debit cards so that we didn't have to keep giving them cash for allowance and see to it that they had money on hand anytime that they went somewhere. And so we, we got them these cards, and, and, and their cards, they carry these debit cards in their, um, in their wallets now. And, and there's all kinds of parental controls and, and, and parameters and everything. But, but their cards, ultimately, their cards, they're connected to my bank account, to mine and Sarah's bank account. So they have money because we have money. The, the allowance that they get is because we've given it to them. You, you see what I'm saying here? See, Paul, Paul realized that, that despite all of his accomplishments and accolades, that, that he was spiritually bankrupt. And his reputation alone, it was unable to make him righteous. No matter what he did, no matter what he accomplished, he still fell short in the category of righteousness. He was only made righteous by the righteousness of Jesus that was placed into his account. It's imputation that Paul had it because Jesus had it, in the same way that Luke and Avery had it because me and their mama have it. And we place that into their account, that when we come into faith in Jesus, he places his righteousness on us. And we have it because it's what he has and who he is. And I talk to a lot of people who say things like, but but I'm a good person. And, and, and in their mind, that, that's righteousness. I'm a good person. And, and I can't tell if they're trying to convince me or if they're trying to convince themselves. Or, or I talk to people and, and sometimes, if you'll allow me to be honest, sometimes I even have this thought myself. At least I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I'm doing better than they are. I could be a lot worse off. I could be a whole lot bigger of a sinner, but at least I'm doing better than them. See, it's, it's the wrong measuring stick. Again, it's the wrong measuring stick. We can't measure ourselves against ourselves or against other people. The only thing we can measure ourselves against is Jesus Christ. That's it. Jesus Christ, and every time we measure ourselves up against Jesus Christ, we will see that we fall short, that our righteousness, our ability, the things that we are able to produce, it will never be enough. 
So righteousness, it's not accounted to us because of anything that we've done or anything that we are capable of. It's all because of everything that Jesus has done for us. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you got, you got to get rid of the religion. You got to get rid of that reputation. Yeah, you are a great person. And maybe you're not as bad as that guy, but when you stacked up to Jesus, you still fall short. And the only reason you can be righteous is because Christ has given you his righteousness. It's nothing that you can attain on your own strength or on your own power. So you've got to replace your reputation and your religion with the knowledge of Christ, with the righteousness of Christ. Number three, with the power of Christ. Paul says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. We all want the power. We get excited about the power. Recently, Sarah and I joined a gym. When we go into the gym, I see the pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger on the wall. (laughs) And he's lifting ungodly amounts of weight. And he's got muscles that I didn't even know the human body had. And they're huge. Or I see other people in the gym working out that, are, that they look the way that I would like to look. Or they're lifting things that I would like to be able to lift. And I, I get excited about the power. See, here's the thing. There's a cost involved. There's There's time. There's, there's nutrition, there's sweat equity, there's consistency involved in order to, to attain that status, in order to be able to, to harness and to wield that kind of power. There is a cost involved. And, and Paul, is, he's revealing to us something here. He talks about the power of the resurrection. See, Paul had, had discovered, and, and what he's communicating is that in Christ, the resurrection wasn't the end, it was the beginning. But in order for something to be resurrected, it first has to die. And so if, if we want to experience the full power that is available to us through Jesus Christ, then then first we have to die to self and surrender to Jesus. If if we want to experience, if we want to harness, if we want to wield that power, there is a cost that is involved. In order for us to attain that power, in order for us to experience the power of the resurrection, we first have to die to self and, and surrender to Jesus and his way. The power of Christ, and that's, that's connected to, to number four, the, the fourth thing that we've got to replace religion and reputation with. The, the power of Christ, Paul connects it with the suffering of Christ. This is the part that everyone wishes wasn't in the Bible. This is the part that everyone wishes that the pastor wouldn't preach about. This is the part of the verse that we wish that we could just take a Sharpie and just mark out. Paul says, along with the power of his resurrection, he says, I want to suffer with Jesus, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from 
the dead. Here's the truth today. We can't have the power if we don't have the pain. There is no victory if there is no battle. There is no testimony unless there's first a test. You need to understand something. Maybe you're finding yourself in that situation today. Maybe the pain and the suffering, it, it's, it's too much to bear. And maybe you have, you have looked up into the heavens. Perhaps you've even shaken your fist and you fussed at God. You're mad at him. And, and, and quite frankly, you're not even sure if he exists anymore because he feels so far away from you in this moment. And maybe you thought, God, if you're out there, why would you allow this to happen to me? I came to tell somebody today that God's not doing this to you. He's doing it for you. He's not doing it to you. He's doing it for you so that you can become more like him. Because we can't know Jesus unless we know his suffering. You and I, we can't truly live unless first we die. God's not doing this to us. He's doing it for us so that we can become like him. And Paul wrote these things and and Paul had this joy in his life because his life wasn't founded on the cheap temporary trappings that this world has to offer, but rather it was founded on the eternal value of Jesus Christ. Paul had made the decision that he wasn't going to live for this. He was going to live for something more. See, people that live for things or they live for status or they live for admiration or accolades, they're never gonna be happy because they're constantly striving to protect their treasure. They're constantly worrying over that treasure losing its value. See, Paul discovered the secret That for the one whose hope is in Christ, for the one who has chosen to live not for this world, but to live for something more, to live life on a spiritual plane, that his treasure that he's building up in Christ, it can never be stolen and it will never depreciate in value. It's only going to get better because of Jesus. The best is still yet to come. So we've got a choice today. We've got a choice. We can choose to suffer now because of Jesus, or we can choose to suffer later without him. We can choose to suffer now because of Jesus, or we can choose to suffer later without him. Paul sums up this passage, this thought, verses 12 through 14. Perhaps you've heard these verses before. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on 
to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. It's a lot like Forrest Gump, who one day said, that day, for no particular reason, I decided to go for a little run. So I ran to the end of the road. And when I got there, I thought, maybe I'd run to the end of town. And when I got there, I thought, maybe I'd just run across Greenbow County. And I figured, since I've run this far, maybe I'd just run across the great state of Alabama. And that's what I did. I ran clear across Alabama for no particular reason. I just kept on going. I ran clear of the ocean. And when I got there, I figured, since I'd gone this far, I might as well turn around and just keep on going. And when I got to another ocean, I figured, since I'd gone this far, I might as well just turn back and keep right on going. It inspired the words of Dory from Finding Nemo. <laughs> just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, perseverance, that's what we're talking about here. Perseverance in the midst of a not feeling it season. Perseverance is not the result of our determination. It is the result of God's faithfulness. Perseverance is not the result of our determination. It's the result of God's faithfulness. What Paul is saying is that it takes faith to be a finisher. It takes faith to be a finisher. But like we talked about several weeks ago, we can be faithful because God is so faithful. We can have faith in the midst of a global pandemic. We can have faith in the midst of social unrest. We can have faith in the midst of political divide. We can have faith in the midst of loss of loved ones, in the midst of fear, doubt, lack of understanding, hurt, pain, frustration, whatever comes our way, you name it, we can have faith because God is faithful. So just keep the faith. Just keep pressing forward. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. I don't know if that speaks to anybody in this room today. I don't know if that speaks to anybody watching online this morning but it's doing a whole lot of good for this guy right here. Just keep swimming. That's what we've been called to. That's what our response is in the middle of a season where we're just not feeling it. And it feels, it seems like God is so far away and the world is crashing in on top of us. Just keep swimming. I press on, not for the things of this world. I'm pressing on for something so much greater. I'm choosing to live for something so much more. I may not ever receive it here in this world, but that's okay because it's not what I'm living for anyways. And one day this world, it is going to pass away. It is going to cease to exist. But for those of us that have placed our hope and our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, we're gonna step out of the land of the dying into the land of the living and we're gonna take hold of everything 
everything that Jesus Christ has for us. And that can never be taken away. That's what I'm living for. I hope that's what you're living for too. If you're here this morning and you don't have that hope, but you'd like to, it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ in the room, watching or listening online. If that's you, you're ready to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're, you're ready to start to stop living for the things of this world that are passing away, but to choose to start living for something more, to place your hope in eternity in heaven with Jesus. If that's you today, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.